Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. You are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, worthy of every ounce of our praise, worthy of our lives, worthy of our days. Lord, we are privileged and we give you thanks this morning for allowing us to join in with the heavenly host, to join in with the elders around the throne, to join in with the seraphim, the cherubim, and worshiping you and giving you glory and honor and praise. Lord, we give you thanks not only for what you did at the cross, not only for overcoming death and, and being victorious over the powers of hell, but Lord, we give you thanks for all the things that you've done in the past week. Lord, all the ways that you took care of us, seen and unseen, all the ways that you watched over us and carried us through times of, of, of sorrow, times of grief, times of difficulty, and all the times you were there in the presence of our victories and our successes. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for, for all that you've done, all that you are, Lord, but all that you've done day by day. Your grace is amazing. Your grace is sufficient for us. O sovereign God, God of providence, God of all authority and power and might, we give you we give you honor and praise for all the ways that you orchestrated our lives, all the ways that you've, you've provided for us, all the ways that you've brought us into relationship with you and with others. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. All glory and honor and praise be to you. Lord, we thank you for this last week, all the things that happened. We, we thank you for Pastor Luke and Anna and the birth of their child. We pray upon Noel right now. We pray your blessing upon her that she'd grow up in the knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord and she would love you from an early age. We thank you for all the other ways that you provided this week and all the other ways that you gave life this week. How worthy and how, how awesome you are, Lord. We love you so much. Praise be to you, O Lord God Almighty. Lord, as we open up your word now, help us to know um, what worship is and what it's not. Help us to, to grow in our knowledge and our, and our understanding and our love for you. Help us to be your worshipers, Lord. That's what we were made for. All glory and honor and praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. Uh, last week we spent some time talking about uh, what we're made for, and I hope you know why you were made. I hope you understand um, your place in this world uh, not just to be a part of an economic cog in some big giant wheel of society, not just to do business, not just to uh, exist according to the world's dictates and pleasures, but that you're made for God, made to worship God, made to glorify God through your very life, all the days of your life. You're here on purpose, you have meaning, you have value, you have worth. Uh, beyond that, we come today to this, uh, this question about who should be worshipped, uh, Boy, if you've tracked with any of the theology of our day, what Americans believe, what Christians believe these days, it's amazing to see how far the church in America has fallen in terms of what we believe. Uh, not only do new theological uh, surveys and studies show that people uh, in, in churches uh, across our country, not only just liberal or, or uh, mainline churches, progressive churches, but conservative churches, how far we've come, devolved, as it were, 
into worldly belief. It's, uh, one of the stunning facts of our day is, is that 56% of, of evangelical Christians, now those are typically through the last uh, several decades have been on the more conservative side of things. In a, in a state of theology, a study that came out this summer, 56% of evangelical Christians, churches like ours, people like ours in various churches across country, no longer believe that worship should only be given to Jesus Christ. Uh, in other words, it's acceptable to worship other gods and it's acceptable to worship in other religions because you'll still wind up in heaven. 56%. And that's just a, a tragic and a drastic change over the, over the years where, where so many Christians have capitulated to cultural values and cultural beliefs and societal standards. We're so tolerant of everything these days that we've stopped believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. We've stopped believing throughout churches across America that Jesus is the only way to be saved. That there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's, a, it's an amazing, stunning thing. So the survey, is, is it, it said, the question was, is, is it acceptable to worship God in Islam or in Buddhism or Judaism or other religions? And 56% of evangelical conservative Christians said yes. We've been made to worship God, but who is worthy of worship? Who is worthy to be followed? Who is worthy to be obeyed? Who is worthy to be honored and praised and glorified? Who can save? We come to that question today, and the title of the sermon is, Only One is Worthy of Your Worship. Acts 17, please. The book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16. Is it acceptable to worship God in all different forms and manners? Are, are we a part of a pluralistic society where everything goes and everything counts? Or is there an inclusivism in this world that says that everyone should believe in Jesus, but if they don't, it's okay because God sees their sincerity and God sees their heart and God accepts them as they are? Or should we only be saved through Jesus Christ? Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, and what the story has been so far is he's been in northern Greece. He's been preaching in Thessalonica. He's been preaching in Berea, and, and he's had success there. The Bereans were noble people. They examined the Word to see what was taught, and they believed the Word as it was taught. But then some came and persecuted Paul and, and uh, threatened his life, so he went south to Athens, about 200 miles south. And as he was waiting in Athens, he took a tour. I don't know if some of you have been, you have been privileged to go to Greece and take the tours and see all the wonderful things. Someday I hope to. Uh, uh, but uh, it's apparently an incredible seeing the ancient architecture and seeing different things. Uh, Paul, when he went to Athens, this is what happened. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Full of idols. Uh, and, and if you pause there just for a second, uh, the idolatry in the city, uh, famous. Uh, Athens, uh, really, if you read the literature about Athens, you know, it's the 
Some people say it's the, the place where the beginning of Western civilization began. If you, you know, your Western Civ classes in college or high school history classes, the beginning of Western civilization, Athens was a key place, apparently, for things starting way back when. Uh, famous for its architecture, famous for uh, its, its art. Uh, it was, uh, the, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the center of Greek culture. And then when Rome you know, uh, invaded and took over Greece, they, they let Athens stay a city-state. And because the Romans loved the Greek, uh, you know, the, the Greek gods and, and the, the gods of Olympus, and, and they, they, they kind of shifted into that, that mode, and they, they let Athens stand, even though they conquered them. Uh, and, and even in Paul's day, it wasn't as famous as it used to be, but still the, the influential and rich Roman citizens would send their children, their, send their sons to Athens to study in the famous university there. It was still, even though the city-state of Athens had only about 10,000 people, uh, citizens, about the same size as Alamosa in terms of its population, it, it had a, a vast influence over the world and still today has influenced world history. And yet, Paul doesn't care about any of that. <laughs> he, 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 he saw that the city was full of idols and it says, his spirit was provoked within him. Provoked, meaning he got angry. He, he got irritated. He got chafed. Yeah, here's, here's Paul growing up a zealous Jew, you know, in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, God said. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth beneath, or the waters below. Right? The Ten Commandments get right at it. And so Paul grew up in that. And so that, that very that heart of God was, don't make anything to, to represent a God. Don't make anything that, that tries to approach me. And so here's these, this city full of idols, and, and he's jealous for God. Now there's a negative jealousy, a wrong jealousy, a, a sinful jealousy, but there's a positive, healthy jealousy, jealousy for God's glory, jealousy for God's honor. So he's provoked. He's like, oh, man, oh, this is terrible. This is horrible that they would try to represent the living God or, or try to make up other gods through statues. And uh, history tells us that there was some... 30,000 uh, statues or shrines or temples in this small city, many more uh, than uh, people, <laughs> in other words, uh, of this God and that God and, and every kind of God you can imagine. Most of them were the Greek gods, of course, but lining the city streets everywhere you went. Sometimes we can, in the San Luis Valley, go to different places and we see statues of, of certain saints and different things, and we can understand idolatry to a degree, but man, Paul... Uh, coming, from, coming from his background, coming to Athens, it was heart-wrenchingly difficult to see. Uh, so, in verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and, and devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. His topic, his subject matter was Jesus and Jesus came back from the dead. Yeah, that's what he talked about all day long, wherever he went. So his typical pattern is he went on these missionary journeys. He's on the second missionary journey now. He's taken the, the, Jewish, the, the Jerusalem council, remember in Acts 15, how they said you don't have to become a Jew to, to follow Jesus Christ. He took that message throughout the region that he traveled, but he also shared the gospel wherever he went. 
He preached, and, but, so here in Athens, he starts his pattern of he went to the synagogue. There was a synagogue in Athens, and so every Sabbath, every Saturday, he, wherever he was, he tried to preach there to talk to the, the Jewish people and the God-fearers who were seeking God, who were in the synagogue, he, he would share with them. He would typically start with uh, talking about, of course, the, the, the Jewish way of looking at things or understanding things. He didn't have to start at the beginning, but then he would talk during the week in Athens, uh, however long he stayed there, he'd go into the marketplace. Uh, for hundreds of years, it was the, the, the pattern of philosophers and teachers and, and uh, different religious kind of people to go into the marketplace and open-air preaching uh, and, and, and talk to anybody who would listen. And so he's, he's talking to the Jews and the devout, and then anybody who would listen, and, and the philosophers in the town, they would come and listen. Okay, so what he's doing is he's preaching Jesus Christ. Luke gives us a very summarized form, right? Luke has issues with space, and so he's, he's giving a report. And so we, we, we can extrapolate by the other sample sermons in Acts and the other ways that Acts brings forth the truth that he is, he's expounding the gospel again and again and again, sharing how important Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah in, in the synagogue, the Christ. Uh, but he, he, he's sharing again and again, my subject matter is Jesus, and he's risen from the dead, meaning he's the Lord of lords and he's the King of kings. He's calling them to convert, in other words. He's not satisfied with their idolatry. He's not satisfied with their belief in the man-made gods. He calls them to be followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, some people were like, uh, hey, this guy, what's this babbler doing? And, and there's, there's kind of a background to that. Um, babbler, uh, so, some, some of the philosophers, some of the teachers of the day would call, uh, call the, the, the teachers that would come through seed pickers. Babblers, seed pickers, meaning that the analogy was to like scavenging birds that would pick up scraps in the gutters. The philosophers who are so prideful and so full of themselves and so egotistic right? They, they would say like, sometimes the teachers that they would come through, well, he's like a seed picker. He's like these scavenging birds. He's picked up truths from here and there, and he's tried to put together a philosophy, and it doesn't hold together. And so it's an insult. Some of the people are saying, ah, oh, this seed picker, this babbler, <laughs> he's just like another. But others were like, hey, let's, let's try to take him seriously. What, what, can you explain more to us in, in verse 20? Uh, For you bring uh, verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So the Areopagus was uh, the Ares, the god of war. Um, the Romans kind of emphasized Mars as the god of war. So the, the Areopagus, the, the hill of Ares, uh, the hill of Mars, Mars Hill. Maybe you've heard of this famous sermon called Mars Hill. And churches are named after it. Uh, uh, across our land and different parts of the world. But this Mars Hill was a place where the philosophers, the, maybe it was like a council that was, was filtering religion and filtering teachings. Uh, they, they, it wasn't like he had to go defend himself, uh, but they invited him to learn more. So they went up to this, this hill uh, um, near the Acropolis uh, where the, you know, the, the Parthenon was. Athena, the goddess of war, the goddess of wisdom, she had a famous temple up there. Nike, the god of victory, her, her consort, uh, was there with her all the time. Uh, and other gods were, were on, on that mountain, on that hill. And um, 
so it was near that. You could see it from where he stood, where he made his, his explanation of truth to these philosophers. They invited him, hey, come tell us more about what you're teaching. Uh, verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So the, the, the weird thing about it is they want to learn things, they want to grow in their knowledge, but they're not necessarily looking for truth, not like necessarily seeking for truth. They prided themselves in having kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of these different religions and different teachings. Maybe some of you have taken uh, classes on religion in college, and you can tell the professor doesn't give a rip. The professor isn't interested really in belief. He's just giving you certain ideas about different philosophies and different religions. That's kind of how they were in Athens. So uh, it's, it's clear that there's a distinction here. That, that If it's not clear so far, let me explain it to you. Uh, Paul would not say that it's okay to worship any god. Paul would not say that uh, whatever feels right, if you're authentic, if you're transparent, if you're real in what you believe, Paul would not say that you're going to get to heaven, you're going to be saved just because you're authentic or you really believe it. He's calling the Athenians, he's calling the people, the foreigners in that place, the center of culture to repent, to turn around, to leave behind their man-made gods, the gods of the ages, the gods of history, the, the gods that have risen to prominence. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. He's the one you should worship. There's only one who is worthy of our worship. And it's not statues. It's not uh, the, the Olympic gods, the gods of Olympus. It's not the gods of South Africa. It's not the Native American gods of North America. It's, it's not Buddhist gods. It's not Hindu uh, emanations. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's invited to teach and, and clarify and explain things. And so verse 22, we get into Mars Hill sermon. Paul addresses the Areopagus. So 22, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. And we don't know how often, how long he wandered through the city and looked at all the, the idols and statues and temples, but he found this altar with the inscription, and it's, it's, I saw it's in a museum somewhere. They, they actually found this, this, uh, this altar. Um, uh, it, said, I, I, it says, to the unknown God, with the inscription, to the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Uh, and you see his strategy there, right? He's, he's not saying like, oh, you, you got this altar to an unknown God. He, he's not saying like, you're worshiping the true God. No, he's looking for a preaching point. He can't start at the same starting point when he preached to the Jewish people. He can't start to the same starting point in other places where he went that had other gods. He starts with this, this idea of, okay, how do, I, how, do I, how do I get the message across that Jesus is Lord? And, and so he, he realized that they, they put this altar out there, this, this altar to an unknown God is kind of a catch-all. Pagan religion, what the, what's pagan religion about? What, what do they try to accomplish? They believe that there's gods or, or certain gods in their region or certain gods of the nation or whatever that they have to appease, that they have to take care of, that they have to um, 
kind of make sure that they're not angry, the gods aren't angry at them, so they'll bring sacrifices to these gods, they'll bring food to these gods at their temples or their statues, anything to appease them and make them bless their, their, their business or bless their families or bless their children, whatever, right? And, and so uh, Paul, Paul isn't saying like, hey, you've been worshiping the right God through this image. No, he, he's just looking for an avenue of approach. They, they, they put this altar there as a catch-all. In case we offended a God we don't know about, here's an offering to the unknown God. But he uses that as an avenue, an inroad. As we share our faith, it's helpful for us to know people's backgrounds. As we share our faith in Jesus Christ, it's helpful to know a starting point. Like if someone grew up in an LDS uh, uh, church or someone grew up in a Jehovah's Witness setting or somebody did grow up in, in Crestone with a New Age kind of understanding, it's helpful for us to know a starting point. So to the Athenians, he says, hey, I saw this altar. Let's talk about it. I'm going to show you your ignorance. I'm going to reveal to you the true God. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. They should, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. And then he quotes a couple of their philosophers, like the culture is kind of on the right track in certain ways, and so he acknowledges that. For your philosophers say, in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like a gold or silver or stone, uh, like sto gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. Of this he has given assurance by, to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear about you, more about this from you again. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Men also were Dionysus, the Arabogite, and a woman named Demarius, and others, who, others with them. Uh, Paul is, is intently trying to explain to the the wise and the influential and the powerful of the day, that their philosophy, their understandings of things are wrong. Their understanding of God and who God is needs to be changed. They need to go in a new direction. They have to come to a new belief. He preaches for them to convert to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, he, he does so in, in a way that's done by missionaries all around the world, when you enter a new culture, when you enter a new place, oftentimes missionaries approach people by talking about creation. We all have that in common. We all have seen the night sky. We've all experienced uh, the phenomena of this, this world uh, in different ways. And so he starts, uh, as he explains these things, hey, I, I, you guys are ignorant of things. I know you're well-schooled. You have all this knowledge, but you've never heard of Jesus, have you? 
You never heard of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Let me explain to you this, that there is a God you haven't known yet. Let me make him known to you because he wants to be known. He wants to be found. He wants to be worshipped. So he starts with, with uh, again, creation. Verse 24. The God who made the world and every, everything in it. We went a long time last week talking about that this is God's world. He created it. Everything was made by God for God. Uh, he starts there. And it's, he, he, he doesn't... Uh, and, and I should say, again, this is a compressed sermon. Luke isn't giving... It takes about two minutes to read. Right? I guarantee you, knowing the Apostle Paul, he took a lot longer than that to preach. Kind of like this guy <laughs> sometimes. Uh, he, he, so it's a compressed sermon. Uh, it's, Luke's just giving us kind of the highlights. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Okay, So uh, who, is, who is he talking to? The Epicureans. Let me give you some background on them. Epicurean, the, the philosophy of the Epicureans was that they were practical atheists. They were deists, meaning they, they thought there was probably gods out there that made everything, but they were agnostic. They didn't know who that, those gods were, and, and, never, and, and they didn't think that the God was really part of this. Those gods were part of this life anyway. God wasn't near. God wasn't close. And so their philosophy, the best life for the Epicureans was just to be happy, just to live life in a, in a tranquil, peaceful way. They, they weren't sensualists, like they weren't seeking to like, party all the time or whatever. They, they were looking for just a tramp, tranquil, simple life, okay? And just try to be happy was their philosophy. You know people at work that are like that, <laughs> even to this day. The Stoics were a little bit different. The Stoics, they did believe that there was a, a high God, but they were pantheists. They're pantheists, meaning that they thought that the God of this world was literally part of the world. Not distinct, not separate. They thought that the world soul was God, and, 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 and they would have resonated with Paul a little bit in the sense that God brought everything into their life, but they, they, they saw God as, as not distinct creator, distinct outside of creation. God and creation, the world and God was one in their minds. And their, their philosophy was, hey, everything is determined. They, they kind of had a fatalistic understanding of things, that everything that comes... We just have to grin and bear it. <laughs> Stoicism. Some of you are pretty stoic. I describe you that way, right? Where life happens, and what do you do? You just, you just gut through it. You just push through it. You just, you're stoic in how you handle things. You, you, you don't let things bother you. You just go through it. And, and that's, so there's a moral duty for the stoics that the good life, the best life, is just to endure life and live the best you can. But neither of them believed in a life after death, which makes me cry. <laughs> uh, and so, so Paul, Paul's saying, God who made the world and everything in it. He doesn't need your temples. He, he doesn't need statues. He's the creator. How dare you compare the living God to a statue? Get over that. Don't, don't compress God into that. Isn't idolatry a, a, a way of domesticating God? Isn't idolatry a way of making God small and controllable and manageable and usable for our purposes? Hey, I'm having trouble in my life. Let me pull, off my, pull my God out. Ta-da! That's idolatry. That's using God or domesticating God for my own purposes and ends. Paul says, no way. Don't think about God like that. God is the creator. Only the Creator is worthy of your worship. 
Leave behind Mars and leave behind Aphrodite and leave behind Nike and leave behind all these other gods. They're not worthy of your worship, Zeus. Leave behind these images, man-made ideas. Only the Creator is worthy of your worship. And in verse uh, 25, uh, he, he, he gets after him. He says, man, uh, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Uh, so, you, so what they would do, they bring food to the statues. Here you go, God. We know you. Here's our offering. Here's, we know you're probably hungry, and here's our worship. Ah. Oh. And so Paul, the, the monotheist, the one who's come to meet Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road who worships the true God, he says, don't think that way. Uh, he's not like that. He doesn't need to be served by humans. He doesn't need anything. He himself gives all mankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything. Where did your last heartbeat come from? It came from Yahweh. It came from the Lord of Lords. Your next breath belongs to God. Everything comes from him. He's the sustainer. He's the creator. Everything comes from him. He's the life giver. Only the life giver, only the true God is worthy of your worship. Not human-made ideas, not philosophical gods, not creations of, of, of cultures. Only the Lord is worthy of your worship. The life giver, the creator, is worthy of your worship. It, it, he does not live in temples again, uh, nor is he served. And, and then in verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. Uh, the, the true God is ruler of all. The true God is Lord of all. And, 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 and historically and, and culturally, uh, He's the one who created Adam. And, and from Adam came all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the world came from the creation of God. It didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen by accident. The God of providence has orchestrated the world as it's played out. And, and the way it talks about the nations like, uh, the nations have their times. The nations have their seasons. Like, some nations rise and some nations fall. Who's responsible for that? Paul lays that uh, at God's feet and says, God is the one who's orchestrating things. God is the one who's lifting up nations and tearing down nations. God raises up rulers and drives down rulers. God, the God who is in control of this world, is in control of history. He sets the boundaries of nations. Why did the United States of America come about? Because of the living God chose for it to come about. Why, why is Iraq doing what it's doing now? Where, it's, where, is, it, where is it heading? Why, why did Babylon fall? Why, why did Assyria fall? Why did the nations, all over the years, all the nations that have come and gone, because, come and gone because the living God is in control? For what purpose? For what end? Now, there is a purpose, isn't there? There is an end, but man... To, to make God in your own image, small and weak and controllable, to, to think you can manipulate God or use God, pull his, yank his chain and make him give you what, he want, what you want. We, we have such small ideas of God sometimes, such, some, such weak ideas of God, and Paul says, says, repent of that. Leave those ideas behind. He's not like that in any way. But why does, he, why does he orchestrate life? Why, why does he sovereignly give boundaries and, and, and raise up nations and make nations fall? Verse 27, that, some of your translations say, so that they should seek God. 
perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Now, some, there, there's other translations say grope their way towards God. <laughs> and it's, a, it's an acknowledgement, a recognition that in our worldviews, our fallen cultural worldviews, our fallen understandings of life, in the context of sin and sinful thinking, the patterns that we learned from our forefathers that have come down to us, we, we think in patterns that are hard. Sometimes it's hard to, to see God or, or understand God. We have to grope, we have to feel, but realize that God has set up history God has orchestrated your days in this country and the way things are going. There's a lot of brokenness because of the fallen, fallen world we live in, but, but God wants to be found. God wants you to seek Him. God wants you to find Him. As, as Chad said, God has made a way for us to be in relationship with Him. How do we know what the love of God is? He gave His Son while we were still enemies on the cross. Man, God has gone to the furthest extent God has gone, done everything so that we would know Him, so we'd respond, we'd be reconciled to Him, and we'd be loved by Him and, and love Him, be in relationship with Him. The other gods aren't like that. Certainly the, the Roman gods, man, uh, capricious and, and hateful and spiteful and mean. The, the, the Greek gods, if you've ever done any reading about them, they're self-centered and, and they, they, they could give a rip about other people. They, they use nations and they abuse nations. They abuse people in, in the mythology for their own ends. The living God, Paul says, is completely different from that. There's only one who is worthy of your worship and my worship. There's only one way to be reconciled to God, to know God. The other religions don't have somebody who died for your sins. The other, the other religions, the other teachings don't have uh, this sense of relationship or, or closeness that you were made by that God, for that God, so that you'd live with that God forever. Paul says, repent. Turn around. Come to this one who I introduce you to as Jesus, the Christ. And again, the, the sermon, uh, I'm sure it was extrapolated, went on much longer, and he brought out that nuance and that emphasis and that teaching, quoting Scripture throughout, teaching and calling and, 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 and wanting them to be saved. And uh, in, in, in verse 28, he, he, says, in, so he says, God is present. Your, your own philosophers say that. He's near. And, and then at the end of 28, he says, for indeed, we are his offspring. Now, now what does he mean by that? Does he mean that every person on the face of the earth is intimately related to God, knows God just by basis of God's creative act? No. Um, he's saying that God is our creator and we've been made in the image of God. This is Genesis 1. We spent a lot of time talking again last week about. Genesis 1, made in the image of God, made in the likeness of God, to be able to relate to God, to be able to reflect God and His glory throughout the earth. Uh, we're made in His image. We're, we're in His offspring in that sense. So verse 29 says, Being that, that we're God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the, by the art and the imagination. And that's, that's a condemnation of religion. Religion formed by the art and the imagination of men. The religions of the world are False. The gods that the world has brought to us are false. They've been made by the imaginations of men. Creations of culture. There's only one true God. 
There's only one who is worthy of your worship. His name is Jesus Christ. He, uh, he, he says that uh, we, as God's offspring, as it were, made in his image, uh, how could you go to a, a temple or a shrine or a statue? If you're made in the image of God to reflect his glory, how could, how could God be like that statue? We're animate objects. We're living. We're living. We're, we're breathing. We're spiritual. And that statue, it's just wood overlaid with, with some artwork of gold and silver. As Isaiah says, you know, you make that statue, half of it, half of it you use in the fire to cook your food in. The other half you make a statue out of. How could that possibly be like the living God? Somehow us in, in, a, in being created in our, in our rationalism, in our, in our thoughts, in our, in our uh, wonder, in our, in our being able to communicate, being able to love, being able to sacrifice, we represent God. And in that, in that sense, He's our Father, the Creator. There's only one who is worthy of your worship, the Father in heaven. Uh, this, this sermon, we could, we could spend a lot of time bringing out more and more of the nuances, but let's get to the, let's get to the chase, let's cut to the point, let's, let's get to the end of it. In verse 30, he says, The times of ignorance... God has overlooked. Uh, what's he talking about? The history of the world, all the false gods, all the thousands and thousands of different religions that have sprung from the imagination of mankind. All the different uh, philosophies that have come from that culture that's no longer around and that culture that's no longer around. All the different creations. Because uh, as we talked about last week a little bit, uh, we were made to worship. Right? God, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity into the hearts of men. We have this God-given draw towards God. We have this desire to know God and worship God and love God. God put it in us. Unfortunately, because of sin and because of evil, because Satan's lies and deceits, that has been directed to other places, to idolatry and false worship. He says uh, about the living God, those times of ignorance, God overlooked. In other words, God has been patient. God's been patient up, up to the point of Jesus' Jesus's coming. Jesus is the highest revelation of God. He's the truth of God. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Right? The end of revelation is Jesus Christ. The highest revelation is the Son of God. Yeah, the times of ignorance, now that Jesus has come, uh, the times of ignorance... It's done with. Now, he commands. Who does he command? Who does God command? He commands all people. Everywhere. That's a comprehensive kind of picture. All people on the face of the earth, everywhere. There's this understanding among some, uh, you go to a secular university and you study religion, <laughs> or you go to a progressive church or a, a mainline church, and sadly it's becoming even in some conservative churches, this is the case, uh, they'll say to you, oh, it doesn't matter the God you worship because God ultimately sees your heart. God, God doesn't care what form you take or what path you walk in your worship because He sees who you are and sees your love and sees your character. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell because there's no other name given to men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. 
It might not matter to the peoples of the world, the tolerance and the inclusivism. Everybody just do what you want. Just, just find your own way. Find your own path. Find your own expression of worship. That makes God vomit. There's only one way. God has overlooked this ignorance in the past, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. And in the context of the sermon, again, this is a sample sermon, a summary sermon of Paul. We look, if you read through the book of Acts, you read through his other letters. There's often times in the book of Acts and other places, there's scriptures that, that only say repent in, in, in the passage, uh, assuming that belief is part of it. There's other, there's other passages where people are called to believe in Jesus, assuming that repentance is part of it. Okay? So when he says repent, he's also preaching belief. Repent and believe what? In who? In Jesus Christ. Repent and believe that He's the living God. It was probably too much of a stretch for Him to talk about the Trinity in this sermon. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're already going to go at the idea of a resurrection. So to understand the monotheistic Trinitarianism of Paul might have been too far to go. But he called them to come to some facts in their life. In our Wednesday night in the Word, we studied this the other night, the facts that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The scripture that Chad read about the love of God while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. This idea, these these facts, to, to repent means to come to grips with these facts. The, the, the teaching that the gospel says that Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. The, 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 the facts are that the Lord of lords defeated death. All should bow the knee to Him. All should exalt Him because He's overcome death. He is by nature and by right the object of worship in this world. He reigns. He rules now. And the facts of repentance... I've sinned against this God. I've hurt His heart, as, as Amanda said. I, I've, I've broken the law. I've transgressed against the law. I've, I've violated the standards. I've rebelled and, and hated God in so many ways. And so repentance is this understanding that I'm guilty. I'm condemned. And the only way I'm going to be saved is through a Savior who died in my place to take my sins. The only way I'm going to be saved is trusting the Savior who is also the Lord. To put my hope in Him and my trust in Him. So Paul says, man, give up these false gods. Give up these false religions. That time of ignorance is, is past. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and you will be saved. Uh, the, the, the sermon, he, he says, man, uh, he, he uses, we've talked about God as creator as the life giver, as the ruler, as the father. And he uses the fifth image in verse 31. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God is judge. God is the judge. 
And uh, how do we know that he's going to judge the world? How, when the end comes, how do we know? Because he's given assurance, he's given evidence, he's given proof by raising this Jesus who said he would rise on the third day before he died on the cross. He came, from, he came back to life as the living God. And God, Jesus, is the judge who will judge in righteousness all who have not been forgiven of their sins, all who have not been reconciled by, to God through Jesus Christ, they will be judged, the condemned. All those who are condemned right now are all those who haven't come to the living God in faith and trust and repentance and belief. But all those who trust in Jesus, all those who turn their life over to Jesus, they will be forgiven. They will be reconciled. They'll be, they're given the promise of eternal life. And they will not face the wrath of God because Jesus already paid for it all on the cross. No more debt. We've been set free. We've been justified, declared righteous by the righteous one who rose from the dead if we trust in him. You see, you see it's coming to a head here. Can I be a Buddhist and go to heaven? No. Can I be a Hindu and go to heaven? No. Can I have my eclectic beliefs, the smorgasbord, I'm going to take a little bit of that religion, a little bit of that religion, a little bit of that religion. Can I be a church-going person and go to heaven? No. Unless I believe in Jesus Christ. Unless I trust in Him and trust in Him alone. Unless I repent and believe and put my faith in the living God. Only one is worthy of your worship. Only one is meant to be worshipped. Only one calls you to worship. He's revealed Himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ. And maybe if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Him, haven't repented and believed, hear a scripture. Maybe let this resonate in your heart today. The Lord Jesus, as we saw in this scripture, said, uh, Paul said about the Lord Jesus that God wants to be found. He's orchestrated history, orchestrated your days so that you would meet Him, that you would seek Him and find Him because God wants to be worshipped. And so this invitation by Jesus Himself comes to you today. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All you religionists, all you idol worshipers, all you scramblers who are trying to make your way to heaven, trying to be good enough, trying to be righteous enough, trying to earn favor with God, Man, all you are burdened and heavy laden with religion. Burdened down with, with religiosity and pretending it and faking it till you make it kind of an idea. Working your way on the treadmill, jumping through hoops, going to this church and going to that church and trying to do all you can to be good enough. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me personally and put your faith in me and I will give you rest. In other words, I'll give you salvation. I'll give you what you're looking for, but you have to trust in me. have to repent of those false ideas of ignorance, those false gods. Turn away. Make the decision to turn away and turn towards me in faith, and you will be saved. Please don't leave earth without Jesus Christ. Please don't deny Jesus' lordship. He's come to save. He accomplished the work. Would you 
receive him. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Trust in the true God. Only one is worthy of your worship. Jesus Christ. Please stand in his presence as we close today. Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you. We're grateful. We're grateful for your plan of salvation. We're grateful what you did, Jesus, in coming to save us and reconcile us and redeem us. We thank you for accomplishing your work and rising from the dead. And we acknowledge that you are the Lord of lords and the King of, Queens, that King of kings. And even right now, all of history is at your command. And we recognize that one day, um, one day you're coming back. Lord, we pray in the interim, we pray whether that's short or long, we pray that the gospel would go forth, that the message of truth that's been brought to your apostles, to your church, that's been brought to us, that we could be a people participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the spread, the emanation, the, the distribution of truth about you, Jesus. And may, may many people convert May many people repent and believe. May many people become worshipers of the true God and living God. And Lord God, we ask that you would help us to be your worshipers in spirit and in truth. For you are the only one who's worthy of it. Send us out now, Lord, but start in our homes. Start in our, our, our classes. Start in our, our neighborhoods. Start, start, start with us, Lord. Help us to worship you only as our God, for only, Jesus, you are worthy. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for allowing us to worship today. May your worship continue now through the week, for you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.